this edition of Hoosology. We welcome the play-by-play commentator for the Atlanta Hawks and the basketball tournament, and he is the host of the Trophy Life podcast, Bob Rathbun. You don't want to miss this chat as Bob gives his favorite basketball memories, his thoughts on commentating on the basketball tournament, stories from his historic broadcasting career, and a lot more. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a proud member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now, Bob Rathbun. He is the play-by-play commentator for the Atlanta Hawks and the basketball tournament. And he is the host of a Trophy Life podcast. We welcome Bob Rathbun onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Bob? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for coming on to the show. Really appreciate it. And we want to just have this discussion with you just because you're a wealth of just sports knowledge and in particular basketball. So um, we're really looking forward to this chat. And one of the first questions we ask of most of our guests is what is their favorite basketball memory or their first basketball memory? Uh, I'll let you decide where you want to take that question. Ah, gosh. Well, you know, I grew up in North Carolina and, uh, I was born in Rhode Island and my dad was transferred. And so as a, as a uh, kid in Rhode Island, of course, I was uh, Celtics uh, over the head. But then growing up in North Carolina, and we moved when I was 12, 11 or 12, uh, right in the middle of ACC basketball country. So I got an indoctrination early on to our great <laughs> game uh, with the best of the NBA and the best of uh, college basketball. And um, I guess that's kind of where it started for me, the love of the game and, and the respect of the game uh, growing up around those two events. But um, I don't know if there was one uh, particular uh, memory, although, you know, when I was in high school and in college, I had a chance to go to these games. Uh, the, uh, it's funny, the play-by-play announcer, he was at Wake Forest and then later Duke, happened to live in my hometown in Salisbury, which is, if you know, North Carolina, it's, I don't know, half an hour North of Charlotte, right between Charlotte and Greensboro. And, and the fellow's name was Leo Morris. And he was a longtime voice of the Wyoming Cowboys. And he kept coming back to Salisbury because we, we headquartered the national sportscasters and sports writers association. And he used to win from Wyoming all the time. Well, he would come to Salisbury to get his award and he fell in love with the place. So he moved and was the voice at Wake and Duke, and I was in high school. And so I kept stats for him, which got me into all these great ACC tournament games and NCAA games. So those memories are are like it happened yesterday. You know, uh, to me, uh, David Thompson and, you know, NC State and, and the great game against UCLA and all that stuff, it seemed like it happened last week. So it, it made a pretty good impression on me. Since you've been a longtime basketball fan, I think it's interesting that you're you've been calling the basketball tournament, and you've kind of seen the, the game of basketball go through different evolutions through pro, through college, and now we've seen like afterwards in terms of either after the, the professional playing days are done, like this third iteration. And I just want to kind of get your thoughts on just yourself commentating on this new concept that's become wildly popular recently. Um, it's something that um, myself and Matt are particularly fond of just because we're from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, the University of New Mexico had a team represented uh-huh. the enchantment. So just your thoughts on this, your 
doing play-by-play for the basketball tournament. And where do you see the tournament kind of evolving in the years to come as well? The pit where Lafonso <laughs> Ellis got ejected. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's interesting, you know, the fellow who, uh, well, two guys, they were they were childhood friends growing up, Dan Friel in New Orleans now as an attorney, and John Bugar, who has his name attached as the founder of TBT, it was their idea. Uh, next summer will be the 10th anniversary, oh, wow. so it has survived, uh, you know, it was the first sports comeback through the pandemic, but I think it is an idea that people sort of, attach themselves to, you know, it's, it's summertime basketball. Uh, 95% of the guys who play in it were pretty good college stars, but are playing overseas. And it comes at a time where many of them are finalizing deals to go back, uh, gives them a little bit of summer run uh, because the camps overseas, you know, they kick up right about now, middle of August. So this is good run for them. And they either play for a cause or they put an alumni team together. And that's sort of what TBT is all about. And it's a nice three-week run where guys get to play. It's unique that you play just for the championship money. You know, only one team walks away with the cash, which makes it interesting. Um, A lot of pain for the team that loses the championship game. That's for sure to go all that that way and and come away with nothing. But it's it's a good idea. Uh, I think it will continue to gain in popularity. I think you'll see some spinoffs. I think you'll see a women's tournament in time. I think you'll see uh, probably a college tournament. Um, if they can if they can get it off the ground, uh, you know, with NIL being what it is, um, you know, you might have a chance to, it might be an intramural team, but it might, it might have some scholarship players on it. Uh, so I think you'll see a couple of other things uh, around it take off. But uh, it's been it's pretty neat. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's funny. The basketball world watches TBT. I mean, you guys obviously watched it. And uh, uh, it's interesting. You know, we had Fran and I, Fran Fraschilla does the color with me. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of texts, game championship night uh, from all kinds of players. Elvin Hayes was watching the game, you know. Wow. Uh, so a lot of a lot of the basketball community. You know, it was dialed in curiosity to see how they uh, how it would all turn out. So it's a pretty fun event. Did you guys like it? You like TBT? Yeah, definitely. I've, I love the innovation, and uh, yeah, Justin. Oh thoughts? yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had John um, on the show. Oh, okay. A couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's something that's really. Um, near and dear to our heart and it's kind of cool to see new mexico being represented it's something that i always joke with my coworker, like hey we should do, we should put together a team and have new mexico being represented so it's, it's cool to see <laughs> right. them just but you know have them face you know a new mexico um state team as well in the pit right it just brings right. back so many memories it was it was like a watching yeah. a time machine it was it was pretty so yeah it's as, as i'm sure john mentioned you know it is not easy no. Uh, mm-hmm. Putting these teams together, these guys that are the GMs of these 64 teams, it's a 12 month a year job to try yeah. to get these guys together because it's, you know, are they injured? Are they rehabbing? Uh, do they want to play in it? Yeah. Um, you know, are they going to be around when the tournament happens? Uh, so it's not that easy. You think, well, you know, why doesn't Duke have a team or Kentucky? <laughs> or, you know, these because their guys are still playing 
in the NBA, you know, <laughs> and uh, if not, they're overseas and maybe can't make it and all that stuff. And it, so it's it, it's a commitment, but, you know, it's fun. And uh, that Buffalo team uh, that won it, uh, the Blue Collar U, uh, I think they would have a respectable, if not a championship level G League team mm. with the guys that they put out there because they're all in their prime, they're mid 20s. Uh, they've got the great balance of offense and defense, size, guards, wings, shooters. Uh, they're, they're pretty buttoned down. And when you bring in the Alabama coaching staff uh, to coach you, like they had them when they were there in Buffalo, that's a tough combination to beat. I mean, they had detailed scouting reports. Uh, practice was all business. Shoot around was all business. So they deserve the million-dollar prize. That's for sure. Bob, one of the things I've heard you talk about is – it, that as a play-by-play announcer, one of the things you stress about and want to make sure you're really well-researched on is, of course, the rules of the game. Oh, yes. So in, in relation to TBT, I just wanted your thoughts on the Elam ending and also what is it like broadcasting the Elam ending? Yeah, it, it's a fabulous idea. It is one that I have taken to the NBA to decide overtime in the regular season. Now, you could mm. never... You could never end an NBA game with the Elam ending. There's just too many things, sponsors and TV and timeouts mm. and all this stuff. So it would never work uh, at the end of a game like it does for TBT. But I think it would be a marvelous thing for overtime. Regular season, obviously. Uh, I think the fans would go bananas to see the stars of the game. Look what happened in the All-Star game. I mean, you got Kyle Lowry taking charges. In an all-star game, <laughs> in an Elam. Yeah. So I think it would have an excitement about it, sort of like, in a way, but better than the shootout in the NHL, uh, if it's tied after the first overtime. Um, I'd go right to it, and I don't know what the magic number would be. Uh, you know, we do eight in TBT. That's not enough. Uh, you hit a couple of threes, and it's over. So I would mm-hmm. set it up there at, like, maybe 15, mm-hmm. something like that. Um and let these guys have at it. And that way you don't have the triple overtime, the mm-hmm. four overtime. I've done four, four overtime games in the NBA. I'm telling you, it wrecks <laughs> you for the next week because, yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got to come back and play the next night or two nights, but you feel it for another week. So I think it would be a good way to end overtime because in the arena and on TV, at the end of regulation, everything's been sold. You know, there are no in-arena promotions left. Everything, every sponsored T-shirt throwaway. I mean, you name it, it's all done. Every spot that's scheduled to be in TV has played. So it's just extra time. And I think it would be a great idea for the NBA. Yeah, you mentioned that um, you talked to the NBA about that. How (laughs) have you heard any any feedback about that? Any, um, you know, perceptiveness to that? The the Elon ending idea? Oh, I thought that was Adam Silver calling. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it has fallen on deaf ears so far. Gotcha. Yeah, I I think you make a ton of great points there. And, and of course, as you know, I mean, the NBA has always been willing to try things. So that yeah. uh, you really sold me on it. <laughs> try, it try it in the G League, you know, do the Elam ending for overtime. I, I think it'd be really cool to see it and then judge, you know, works, doesn't work. But let the guys try. That's what the G League's for. That's where we try all our new rules changes. 
Absolutely. Another, um, you know, I guess common critique and I'll preface it. I mean, of course, we're all here because we love the sport of basketball. We love the NBA. One of the weak points, I would argue, is maybe the last two minutes of the game when things tend to really, really slow down. Um, do you have any any thoughts on ways to improve that portion of the game? Because it seems like the fourth quarter is really, really solid yeah. until we get to maybe those last two minutes or so yeah. when the pace really changes. Well, the timeout situation obviously is, um, you know, something. I think it starts to slow down before we get to what is it, the three-minute mark? Yeah. Where you have that use it or lose it timeout. And then, you know, they all take that, you know, and then you got <laughs> two more. Uh, plus, you know, if if we haven't had the under uh, under four timeout for the media, you know, that one gets thrown in there. So, you know, it's just, um, I, I would say just the, the elimination of maybe a, a, that extra timeout mm-hmm. uh, might help. Um, th- I don't think there's a whole lot you can do. The take foul, I think, will be interesting, but it's not going to be in, implemented in the last two minutes. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that there's a whole lot that can be done other than maybe take a timeout away um, mm-hmm. might speed it up a little bit, but I maybe just because it gets magnified, but I just don't, I don't call the games. I don't get the sense that it's a ton of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now if you're watching Charlotte and Detroit and you have no, you know, no dog in the fight, so to speak, it can be a little tedious because you just want the thing to get over with. But if it's your team and you're trying to win a key game, then I don't, I don't really sense that the fans are upset by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I have learned, and you know this as well as anybody, is that you can never, ever give up on an NBA game. I mean, these true, guys true. are unbelievable in their shot making, the coaching, the plays they run. I, it's amazing how these games come right down to a final shot when you would think that with 30 seconds to go, this, no, this is over and it's never over. Um, and that's why coaches, you know, hold their breath until they see three zeros on that clock because they know that anything can happen. No, completely agree. Um, Bob, I want to shift the gears and I want to ask you about just the current state of um, your your career ever since the pandemic and our podcast mm-hmm. returned right when the pandemic started. We talked to a lot of journalists, a lot of play by play folks, and they said that their jobs were drastically affected by just all the restrictions and with the fans not being there. Right. And now that everything has changed with fans returning and things from a presentation standpoint, returning back to normal. I just want to get your perspective on what the last two years has been like yeah. for yourself. Well, it's been, um, it's been hell for yeah. all of us. Yeah. Uh, fans, coaches, players, uh, training staffs. Uh, it's just been a nightmare. You know, we, this is the first summer we've had normal since 2019. And, uh, you know, you think about it and it's like, man, we have really gone through the ringer here. Mm-hmm. But I think we've pretty much gotten back to normal. Um, except for the locker rooms being closed uh, and the Canada situation. Uh, you know, with vaccinated players, we're pretty much back. Uh, we went to Toronto in April, so that's the first time we'd been back. Now, we did not go uh, to the West Coast last year 
because that was right in the middle of our team uh, breakout uh, that we struggled with. Uh, we were, that was right around the first of the year. So I haven't been to LA and well, since whatever, 2019, I guess. Oh, wow. um, but I think we're pretty much back. The fans are sure back, um, as you can tell by the playoff crowds. So in that regard, we're, we're finally back. And I, I think that we start the season, everything will be normal. So it's great for us because we're back in the arenas. Uh, it was just no fun at all calling the games off a television monitor. Uh, we did what we had to do. Uh, and we all did it. You know, there's some crews that still don't travel that, that will do the road games uh, back home. But I want to be there. I want to be in the arena. We made broadcasts uh, where the producer, director, tape, uh, stay home and do it in a cloud back here in Atlanta. But in terms of the announcing crew, we'll be on site. And I, I suspect we'll be in the saddle for every game. Did you notice anything, Bob, from calling the games from a television monitor that was different than calling the games in the arena. Um, I will sh- I will share it with you, Justin, if you promise not to tell anybody. Okay, understood. Secret safe with me. <laughs> I have during the pandemic. I have zero recollection of road games. <laughs> zero, because when you're there, and you're living it, you remember the key play and that. But I'm telling for me, sitting in front of a monitor and watching the game. It's like I had to I had to concentrate so hard on the screen and just to identify players. I missed the clock. I missed the whistle. I missed all the things that you take for granted in calling a game weren't there. So I had it's like for three hours, man, I am like glued <laughs> to the TV, the big old monitor at State Farm Arena trying to call these games. But my takeaway was that I just don't remember now when we get ready to go to you know pick a road venue and i would go back and look at the box score and the game story and all that stuff. oh yeah that, okay that was here like when we did we did our opening game in chicago uh, when we finally got the season started in the pandemic we did the first game and and i remember when they turned the cameras on from the united center and this is, you know, two and a half, three hours before the game. And I'm looking at the court and I'm like, this is not the United Center. I don't know what this is, but that's not the United Center. Every seat was <laughs> draped over. Mm. You know, they had cars in the end zone. They had, you know, no fans whatsoever. Uh, you heard every squeak of the sneakers, you know, the ball hitting the rim. But it, it, it was like done in silence. You know, the coaches were reluctant to holler because they didn't want the other guy to hear the play call. So, I mean, it was a weird deal. But I I just remember that it was just so hard to, you know, put yourself in that place when there were no fans. Now, when the fans came back, uh, it was a lot better uh, because you got that reaction, you know, and we were working off the live feed. So it was it was coming to us in real time. And that that helped a lot. But those games with no fans, whoo, well, that was tough. Bob, since you have done play-by-play for multiple sports, I wanted to ask just your 
ability to manage pacing in very different sports. I mean, of course, you do a lot of practice. It's it's your career. You take it very seriously. But how how do you manage like pacing for a baseball game versus like a basketball game? And uh, do you have a preference for which one you broadcast? Yeah, uh, excellent question. I, I think it is the challenge for all of us uh, to latch on to the rhythm of the game that we're calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, baseball has its own rhythm. Uh, it's a, it's much different than basketball or football. Um, you know, baseball is, is a broadcaster's challenge. There's no question. You know, the passing of Ben Scully uh, last mm-hmm. week uh, brought mm-hmm. it all back because it, it just, there is a storytelling aspect to baseball that uh, the other sports just don't have uh, because of the cadence and the rhythm of the game. Football is an analyst game. Mm-hmm. You know, you call it down a distance and whatever the play is, and then it's time for replay. And, that, and that's when your, your color guy shines. Uh, but basketball, you know, it, it is the back and forth, the up and down. And you've got to, I think, uh, attach yourself to that rhythm. And not every game's the same. Uh, it's a little more exciting at the end when the game's on the line or a playoff game or something like that. But each game has its own rhythm and its own pace. Uh, even though it's 48 minutes and a 24-second shot clock, every game's different. So I think the ability to uh, kind of seize that moment and identify, you know what, I mean, it's January, it's a Tuesday night in January, and, you know, it's just a slog and nobody's shooting mm-hmm. well and they've turned the ball over and there's a lot of fouls, you know. But that's the way it is that night. Uh, and the next night, it, it's 180. You know, it's up and down and fast paced and everybody's hitting shots and threes and, you know, all that. So that's, I think, the biggest challenge is to just, you know, when you've when you've done as many games as I have, you can kind of identify, OK, we're going to be in for a long night or this is going to be fun, you know. But it's it whether no matter which game you are handed, uh, it's your job as a professional announcer to make it make it watchable make it entertaining make it for the fans because this is they take this very seriously as they should and uh you know you don't get many casual viewers to an nba regular season game they generally sure. it's going to be you know the the hardcore that's watching you on league pass that's uh watching you on your home team market uh, and you got to you cannot fool them you cannot <laughs> fool the audience they know these teams as well or better than you do. So you've got to really be on top of your game. Is there kind of uh, an element now you mentioned earlier that of course, yes, with the three point shot being so prevalent in the NBA right now, almost no lead is secure. So of course you got to be careful, but it, it, do you get a chance for some more storytelling, you know, providing more of that entertainment when it's more of like a blowout situation? Yes and no. There are more things that we can do, but by the same token, that 24 second clock is still with us. So it's, you've got the back and forth uh, still, but yeah, we try to incorporate some things that normally we would not in a closer game. That's true. true. Uh, You want to have a full saddlebag when you leave the barn uh, (laughs) and you, and you just don't know if you're going to need it or not, but that's why it's so great for me to have Neek with me uh, every night, Dominic Wilkins, because I can just, something will happen. I'll say, well, tell me about what it was like with Clyde Drexler. Or, you know, tell me what it was like with 
you know, Elvin Hayes or, you know, I mean, you name it. Uh, so he can go off on a story and we can still watch, you know, the game. So, yeah, you do take that into consideration. Bob, do you have any story that stands out in terms of a favorite basketball moment that you've commentated on or just you as a fan watching? Um, if you can just kind of pinpoint anything that comes to mind, that's one of your favorite memories yeah. over your, your Oh, your gosh. Career. I mean, the, you know, games that I was at in college, you know, I was I was at Chapel Hill the day North Carolina came from eight points down with 13 seconds left to tie Duke um, without a three-point shot. Um, still can't believe what I saw. Uh, I was there when NC State ended UCLA's run, you know, in 74. Um, not only at the ACC tournament, the greatest ACC game ever played against Maryland, but then, you know, two weeks later, the final four and, and beating Bill Walton and UCLA in double overtime. So I've, I've had a seat to some really remarkable games, but for the NBA, uh, with the Hawks, I, I'm asked this Justin quite often. And, uh, I always go back to our 60 win season, you know, five years ago, six years ago, um, mm-hmm. uh, to win 19 straight, you know, that's a quarter of your season, basically, you know, to go unbeaten the month of January, to have five guys named players of the month, to have four all-stars, uh, you know. Um, but the, be- the the most remarkable part of that streak was seeing the city come to life. I mean, everybody is watching every game. And, you know, the, the whole city, the whole Southeast – you know, was really riveted to what we were doing. And that was so much fun. Uh, you know, I don't have any rings uh, with the Hawks, but um, Pettit tells me he'll give me his 58 ring. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but that that two-month run when we got rolling was as much fun as anything I have ever done. I mean, it was, you know, and it's funny, you know, they talk about load management and back to backs and all this nonsense. I'm telling you, we didn't care if we had to play two games in one day. Fine. Bring them on. We were so locked in so hot. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was. It was just let's go. Let's get to the next game because we were just on that magic carpet ride. Bob, I want to ask you, um, looking forward to next season, um, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on just the Atlanta Hawks and what steps do they need to improve upon um, compared to last season, just in terms of you know any changes from the roster or what you see in terms of development of Trey Young? What are you looking forward to seeing and, and seeing players develop and kind of the team taking the next steps next season? Well, we're excited here in Atlanta. We think um, particularly the starting unit is really going to be special. The trade for DeJounte Murray uh, has really got us all excited. Um, and after what happened in Seattle yesterday with uh, Ben Caro, we certainly are looking forward to the Orlando games <laughs> a little bit more than we normally would. But um, I, we're excited because, you know, we got punked in the playoffs. There's no two ways about it. I mean, Miami just took us right out of everything we wanted to do. It was very difficult winning the two play-in games. Uh, we weren't quite ready physically uh, to start that series when we did. And uh, we only won one game and that was by the skin of our teeth. And that was when Miami just sort of got sideways for three minutes. And that was the only game we won. The other games, we just did not really compete except for the last one where we made a run at the end. 
So we had to get better. We had to get better defensively. We had to get Trey some help. And I think all the moves that Travis and Landry have done is to get us to that point where we don't sacrifice too much offensively, but yet a much better defensive team, uh, you know, to get the holidays in here off the bench. Um, you know, ju we're just deeper. Akago, I think, is going to have a breakout year. He'll he'll get more minutes. Uh, Clint's still Clint. You know, I'm, I'm glad John Collins is still here. But what's got us the most excited is this pairing of uh, Murray and Trey in the backcourt, uh, something Trey has not had uh, since he's been with us. And I think it's somebody who obviously, as you've seen, uh, he's got a little bit of edge to him. And we don't have guys like that. So that is a big plus for us, you know, to have somebody who's going to get in your face. And I don't mean the other team. I mean his own team uh, to <laughs> demand that they play hard and play defense and rebound to do all the dirty things that you got to do to win. And uh, so we're excited. We're ready to get training camp going. I, I'm just counting the days till we can get back in the gym. So we're very excited. Now, that said, you know, we lost two great shooters in Kevin Herter and Danilo Gallinari. Uh, how we will make that up, I'm not quite sure yet. I got to see how this all works together. But I think the starting five will be as dynamic as any starting five in the NBA. I mean, Trey did something last year that's only been done once in the history of the NBA, that he led the league in total points scored and total assists. Only Tony Archibald had done that before. So I think we kind of got the offense covered, um, and Murray is, is going to be a great distributor. He'll be the point guard when Trey's off the floor. And if you look at our numbers, our on-off numbers were horrible when Trey sat down. So that, I think, is better. Um but I, we're, we're pretty excited. We're pretty geeked about what, what's going to happen here. Go ahead, Matt, if you have another question. No, I think we're approaching 30 minutes here. Bob, really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Please, oh, thanks. thanks for asking me. <laughs> Please plug um, any uh, anything you have coming up. Please plug Fast Forward Winner. Tell us where uh, we can find you on social yeah. media and otherwise. Well, thank you, guys. Um, I'm easy to find. It's Bob Rathman TV on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on all the social media platforms. Uh, have my own website at bobrathman.com. And you all mentioned the podcast. Uh, the Naismith Award is based here in Atlanta. And each week I do a podcast uh, for the Naismith Award where we talk college basketball, men and women. And if you want to hear some good stories, tune into this week's uh, uh, edition. Tubby Smith who won a awesome. national championship in Kentucky. And I, and I hate to admit this. I saw him play when I was a kid. I went to Catawba <laughs> College in North Carolina, and he played at High Point. And we were in the same conference back then. And Tubby, I saw him, I think it was his freshman year. And so I oh. must have been like a freshman in high school, something like that. But they played at Salisbury High School's gym. Catawba didn't have a gym to play the games in. So we played High Point there, played all our games there, and uh, got to see him play. But Tubby's my guest this week, and he talks a lot about what's going on in college basketball. How he got his nickname. He's one of 17 kids. I mean, good heavens. But uh, great stories from Tubby. So that that's on every week. A, a Trophy Life is the name of the podcast. I appreciate the time, Bob. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, let's do it again during the season. Once we see how Absolutely. the grand experiment comes to be. <laughs> awesome. Would love to. 
Okay, guys. Thank best of luck to you. Thanks. You appreciate too. it.